0: turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 to 16 this morning. So starting in verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Bees are remarkable creatures that wonderfully work together to survive and thrive, each playing their part, serving their fellow bees for the success of the colony. So, for example... When a bee finds a food source it doesn't keep that information to itself but it actually returns to the hive and does this little food dance so that all the other bees know the location of the food source. Bees also bathe one another. They feed the young and they take care of the sick among them. There's actually some bees in the colony that are nurse bees that exclusively care for the sick and they they separate themselves from the rest of the hive so that they don't contaminate it and when it gets cold enough what bees will do is they'll, they'll keep each other warm by forming a cluster that apparently looks maybe almost like a, a basketball and they'll rotate in and out of the center that's warm and then also when it is uh, more hot out many of the bees will will fan and they'll they'll actually get the hot air out of the hive working together. But even more impressive is how bees work together when starting a new hive. European honeybees reproduce by a process called colony fission and during which a queen bee leaves an existing hive along with about half of the worker bees, upwards of 10,000 and they temporarily congregate in an inverted cone, often maybe on a tree branch, while scout bees then will go and they'll, they'll look for a permanent place to start a hive. Now, all that keeps these bees together is this collective grasp. There'll be a small number at the top by the branch we're holding on, and then all the rest of them will be holding on either to those bees or to each other and sometimes they'll do this for days and when the strain is is heavy and and winds come and that sort of thing they'll actually spread out so that they can bear the burden uh, more effectively together and so it's this amazing system that again highlights the remarkable way bees work together not seeking their well-being but the well-being of the colony all doing this through mutual service Towards one another. Now, this past year, I've been emphasizing purposefully the importance of mutual service in the local church and the, the biblical blueprint for every member ministry churches. Much like every colony of bees, every community of believers should be marked by mutual ministry. Each member of the church doing their part to build up the body together. And we saw this especially, you'll remember, in Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16, when we were working through that book a while ago. Paul informed the local church there that he gave each church evangelists and pastor-teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, so that when each part is, is working properly, he says, the body grows. Well, this morning, as we move into... Uh, another ministry year here at Church of the Open Bible, I want us to pick up this matter of every member ministry and mutual service again. So we don't lose that focus, but we continue to move more in that direction as a church. And I've chosen this morning's text where the Apostle Paul again emphasizes serving one another as foundational to our individual Christian lives and the life of the church. And as we're now going to see, he starts by giving us the stimulus for service. Right away in verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, the central theme in Paul's letter to the Galatian church is their freedom in Christ. How all of us who have faith in Christ have been set free by Christ from all that used to enslave us from this present evil age as Paul says in chapter 1 verse 4 from the curse of the law chapter 3:13 from sin chapter 3 verse 22 from the elementary principles of this world chapter 4 verse 3 and especially from living under the law as we see in chapter 4 verse 5 but really all over this letter it's that liberty from the old covenant law of Moses that was particularly important for the Galatians because there was a group of Jewish legalists, usually called the Judaizers, who were persuading some of the believers in Galatia that they must put themselves under the law and especially circumcision in order to be saved and in order to be sanctified. But Paul, in this letter, he he dismantles that false legalistic gospel, and futile law-based growth. And he demonstrates that by the works of the law, no one will be saved and no one will be sanctified. But rather, what the law does is that it shows us our sin and it shows us our need for a Savior so that we come to put our faith in him, allowing him to do in us, what the law could not do. And so, for example, in Galatians 3, 23 to 26, Paul says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus You are all sons of God through faith. So the old covenant law of Moses served a purpose for a time as Israel's guardian. But now that Christ has come and now that Christ makes those who believe in him through faith adopted children of God, sending the Holy Spirit into our hearts that we cry now, Abba, Father, the old covenant law has become obsolete. We are free from its powerless demands and threats. And we must, therefore, stand in that freedom. As Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, all of that sets up the first part of our text, which implies that, yes, while some of the Galatian believers were being tempted towards legalism, and that's what he was addressing mostly in this letter, there also were some who were, be temp- were being tempted in the opposite direction towards license. Right? They were using their freedom from the law, Paul says, as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, they saw their liberty from the law as now a license to sin to indulge the flesh. Uh, the imagery here is of the Christian's freedom from the law, serving as a, as a base of operations from which the flesh, so our, our remaining sinful nature, can carry out its sinful expeditions. I'm no longer under the law, so now I can do whatever I want to do. I, I can live how I please. I can let my desires, let my heart guide me. We've probably all known people who who've lived like that and maybe it was us i'm sure all of us have had times where we maybe not intentionally maybe not with those exact thoughts but where we've, we've acted that way and maybe we've tried to deal with that with that licentiousness in ourselves or others with legalism returning to the law saying well the answer to this must be that we need, we need more laws. We need more rules. We need more threats. But rather than walking by legalism in this ditch, Paul is telling us, or license in this ditch, we are to walk on the high road of liberty in Christ that expresses itself, that manifests itself in love. He says, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So instead of our freedom from the law being a a launching pad for sin, our freedom in Christ should rather be the starting point for serving others through love. Literally enslaving ourselves to others for their well-being. Which in a sense means trading one kind of slavery for another. Slavery to the law for slavery through love. Which is not a a life-taking servitude, right? You, you have to serve this way or else, which is law. But rather is a, is a life-giving service. We freely choose. You get to serve others. Because of love. You know, when I spend my day off serving my family, it, it's not because I'm under compulsion, under threat, under law. No, it's because I love them, and so I, I freely choose to serve them. Right? I, I'm free from all external constraints, yet am internally constrained by love to serve which is, as Paul tells us here, to be the the stimulus for all of our service. It's that freedom in Christ, a freedom that manifests itself in love as followers of Christ. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15 to the believers there, "...for the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves." but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That is the stimulus for service. It's our freedom in Christ, which takes us to the next part of our text and the, the summons to service, Paul's command, serve one another. Now, the Greek word translated serve here, I mentioned this before, it denotes performing the duties of a slave. And not just con- uh, uh, occasionally, but but continually, as as a lifestyle. And it's also interesting, this is the only imperative verb in the sentence, which means this is not just some side note or suggestion that Paul is bringing alongside something else, but rather this is the central command of this whole passage. And for Christians, through love for God and others, we are ordered to become slaves of others, which of course is a is a startling proposition for anyone immersed in our freedom-loving culture that holds personal autonomy and individual liberty at the very highest ideal. However, this is just standard fare for anyone who is immersed, not first and foremost in our culture, but in our servant-centered scriptures. Jesus said, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for all. Mark 10, 43-45. Paul said, 2 Corinthians nine nineteen. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. One more example, the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Okay? There's no escaping it. The command is clear here and elsewhere. Christians, we must be servants. We must be slaves of all. This, after all, was how Jesus lived and why Jesus died. He freely chose to give his life for others. And his followers must be willing to do the same. This is the charge of our text. We are free in Christ, not to serve ourselves, but to serve others. With great freedom comes great responsibility. And the responsibility we have as Christians is to use the freedom we have to become slaves of others. John Wesley said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Sounds a lot like what Paul says later in chapter 6, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That is the summons to service that Paul gives here. And not just to some of us, but to all of us. All who believe in Jesus Christ and belong to his church. Which brings us to the end of chapter, uh, sorry, verse 13. And the subjects of service. One another. He says, serve one another. This is one of the Apostle Paul's favorite terms for mutual ministry in the church. How all believers in the Christ need to relate to one another in the body of Christ. And so he says elsewhere that because we are members one of another Romans 12 5 we are to love one another and honor one another Romans 10 uh, 12 10 we're to live in harmony with one another Romans 15 5 we're to welcome one another Romans 15 7 instruct one another Romans 15 4 greet one another Romans 16 16 bear one another's burdens Galatians 6 2 bear with one another in love Ephesians 4 2 submit to one another Ephesians 5 21 encourage one another 1st Thessalonians 5:11, Hebrews 10 25 and serve one another as we see here in our text all of us living like servants through love which means that none of us are off the hook rather everyone in a local church is to serve no matter who we are no matter what our gifts no matter our office we are to be servants of all Deal Moody once told the story of a man who bought a a first class ticket on a stagecoach and when he entered the coach he noticed everyone was basically sitting in the same place and he couldn't understand it until the coach came to a very steep hill and the driver called out first class passengers stay where you are second class passengers get out and walk third class passengers get out and push. Moody then observed, Now in the church, there is no room for first-class passengers. No, all members ought to be third-class passengers, ready to dismount and push together. Church, we are all the subjects of service. This is a calling for all of us to serve one another always which is such a significant calling, as we now go on to see in verse 14. Here, Paul gives the basis for the command to serve, starting with that important word, for. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's a wonderful irony in this verse, that when we who are free from the law serve one another through love, we actually end up fulfilling the law, which was summed up by Moses in Leviticus 19, 18, and Jesus in Matthew 22, 29, as love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, all of the Old Testament commands about how God's people should treat others, it all ultimately comes down to loving others, to selflessly seeking their well-being, giving ourselves for their Good, And this is something that Paul makes even more clear in Romans thirteen eight to 10, where he says, "Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other command are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Yes, yes, but but tell me how to love. Give me a list of do's and don'ts. Give me more law. That's the attitude of the legalist. His focus is still on the powerless principle of the law. But the attitude of the liberated is different. His focus is on the power of the Holy Spirit, whom he knows now God has put in his heart through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the liberated says, rather, God, fill me with your love and focus my mind on Christ and show me how he loved so I can love like him and thereby fulfill not the law of Moses, but the law of Christ. Which Paul talks about in chapter 6, verse 2, where he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is the significance to our service. When we serve through love, we live like Christ and we fulfill his law. But of course, sadly, that is not how we often live. It takes us to verse 15 and the stifling of service. We see that starting with the word but. There's a contrast here. But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Notice Paul points out three more one another's here that are all too common in the church. When we bite and devour and consume one another rather than serving one another. When we attack others rather than serve them in love. When we harm others for selfish reasons, rather than help them selflessly. And it seems this was a problem in the Galatian church, where both the legalists and the licentious were following the law of the jungle, rather than the law of Christ. This imagery of biting and devouring being animal imagery. And, and we see what this looks like in verse 26, more specifically, where Paul says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Notice two more negative one another's. Were plaguing the Galatian church and continue to plague many churches today. Again, when either legalism or licentiousness reign, as it was in Galatia, you know, show me a church where disharmony is evident. Either disharmony in the church or disharmony with other churches where people are pointing fingers at each other or pointing fingers at other churches. And I will show you, I will guarantee there are either in that church a lot of legalists who have a long list of rules and laws that they judge everyone else by, most of them arbitrary, or where there are a lot of libertines who are indulging in their sin and judging anyone who calls them out on it. What there won't be in a legalistic or licentious church is a lot of love. But even when service is stifled like that, and we have to admit it, it, often can, there's hope. As we see in verse 16 and really the rest of chapter 5, we're reminded about the strength for service we've been given. Verse 16 sums it up, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This next section in chapter 5 goes on to explain How the Holy Spirit makes this all possible. How Christians can serve one another. We can fulfill the law of Christ as the body of Christ. How? When we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, depending on him, to do in us what we cannot do on our own. If you've ever been to an airport, you've probably walked on one of those uh, moving sidewalks. And as you move towards your destination, you're walking, but that sidewalk, it, it propels you forward, right? So you can get to your destination with more ease. Well, that's what happens when we walk by the Spirit. As we move toward love, He propels us forward and He produces the needed qualities for service with greater ease. What Paul calls here the fruit. Of the Spirit in verse 22, 23, but the fruit of the Spirit, this is is what the Spirit produces in His people when we walk by His power. Our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In other words, when believers walk by the Spirit and Spirit produces these qualities, we fulfill the law. As we think of that list, imagine a church where every member is growing in those qualities together. That will be a church where every member will naturally be growing in service towards one another in love. Which I hope and pray and am certain is the kind of church that you and I desire that we want Church of the Open Bible, or whatever church you belong to, if you're watching online, you want this to be. And the kind of church we can be by the power, by the strength of the Holy Spirit. But it starts with us. This beautiful picture of mutual ministry, of an every-member ministry church, of, of serving one another in love, It only can happen if each of us individually resolve. I will be a servant, just like Jesus Christ. I, Lord, want to be a a slave. Not to the law, not to sin, but a slave of Christ, who is a slave of other people serving them for their good, and thereby building up the body together. What a picture. Is that something you're committed to? Is that how you see yourself? Is that what you are aiming for? Lord, help me to be a servant. Puritan pastor John Howe served as chaplain to Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector of England, And he was incessantly asked to assist others. And he never refused any reasonable request, whether it was a spiritual need that he himself could meet or more often a a practical need that someone wanted him to bring to Cromwell. Well, Cromwell noticed this and one day he wanted to reward Howe for his service. And so he said to his chaplain, Mr. Howe, you have asked for favors for everybody except yourself. Pray, when does your turn? How replied, My turn, Lord Protector, is always come when I can serve another. Oh, that we would be able to say the same truthfully from the heart, a heart that is being transformed by the Holy Spirit through the Word of Christ. My turn, my joy, my pleasure. My aim, my purpose in life is to serve others. Let me close by making two suggestions of how we can start to serve one another a little more faithfully here in our church. First, I want to encourage you to be sure to take part in the special equipping seminars that we're going to start having soon, Hopefully maybe one every month, maybe on a Sunday night, we're not sure just yet. Um, And these equipping seminars will cover various mutual ministries like mentoring, personal evangelism, Christian fellowship, uh, interpersonal counseling, apologetics, that sort of thing. So uh, stay tuned for that, be looking for information. Hopefully October we'll have our first one. But we want to have these regular equipping seminars that can help us in different areas to grow in our capabilities to serve others. But then second, I want to encourage us all to embrace a Sunday servant's mentality. What I mean by that is I want us all to intentionally make Sundays in our minds, not just about worship and fellowship, as important and good as those things are, but, but to also start to see Sundays as a, a, a day when we particularly have opportunity, we especially have opportunities to serve each other in the church family in some capacity and therefore fulfill this text, this command. So whether formally by serving, you know, as, a, as an equipped class teacher or an usher or a musician or a, a, a welcome desk volunteer or more often serving informally, right? Each Sunday, considering who can we serve and how can we serve maybe by by taking out someone who's new for lunch getting to know them Uh, for for praying for someone who's struggling Uh, visiting someone in the hospital Uh, maybe raking leaves for a a widow or calling a shut-in or someone who's sick at home that sort of thing you know what a difference that, that small but significant step would make if all of us would just start to see our Sunday gatherings not for what others can do to serve me, which, let's be honest, is often how we view it, but rather, how can we serve others? Let's pray that the Lord would help us to start there right now, this week. So that we can fulfill this one another. To serve through love. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your church. And we thank you that we are part of your body. And we're thankful, Lord, that being part of your body means that we mutually serve one another. We see so clearly in scriptures that we are not meant to be consumers. Who put some money in a plate and get um, get what we need. Someone else giving it to us. Someone else doing something for us and then go on our way. But rather, Lord, you've designed the church and particularly our gatherings on Sundays to come together and to be equipped to be served in that way. But then, as we are served through the word of God, to then go and serve each other. What a beautiful picture this is. You know, we think again of those bees Mutually serving each other for the well-being of the whole colony. Oh, Lord, that we would have that same mentality of mutually serving each other, doing our part for the well-being of the church. Well, that's how you've designed the church. That, therefore, is how the church will thrive, and that's our desire. So, Lord, help us to be servants. Fill us with your Spirit. May we walk by him so that you would grow in us the fruit of the Spirit we need to be servants. And in it all, may we be pointing to Christ, the greatest servant of all, who lived and died and rose again to serve us so that we could know you, Father, and live for you together. We pray this now in his precious and powerful name. Amen.